Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host Eric Moore and today I'm joined by Ian Marchant to discuss the liftoff of Gaff Spinner and arrival at police headquarters in Blade Runner. Two men enter, one man leaves. Hey, Bidiwa. Hi, Eric. <laughs> threw, threw me there. Yeah, so yeah. Sorry, I I I, I was getting in 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 character there, you know. I I thought you'd just made a gaff. <laughs> uh, never mind. Um, uh, it's all downhill. You're thrown now, Joe. Sorry about that. Yeah. Hello, Ian. Hello, Eric. Ready to talk Blade Runner? Definitely, definitely. Yeah. Or is it the real Eric? Yes. <laughs> okay no no i'm the real one my my, my lifespan is a, a bit more than four years well you hope I, I i'm confident that they wouldn't bother putting any effort into replicating me <laughs> to be honest <laughs> I, there's better designs yeah what's there. the point <laughs> yeah you know okay so blade runner um yes. did you see it in the cinema were you old enough to see it in the cinema um i didn't see it in the cinema we went to go and see it, and uh, I was turned away for not being old enough. Oh, really? I must have been, yeah. I was I was just trying to think what year it was. It Was it 82? It was 82, yes. 82. So I would have been 14, and, yeah, we got turned away from that, and I th- it might, might have been the same year or the year before. We got turned away from uh, Blues Brothers. Right. Uh, which is also a, a favorite film of mine. So, yeah, I've, I've got quite a... Uh, a um, a memory of being turned away at the cinema back when they used to bother now mm. you go into like a, a, an 18 film and it's full of kids yeah because they just want the money don't they <laughs> yeah, yeah just, as, long as, as long as you've got the money now they, they don't care it's, yeah but yeah i remember we got turned away so the first time i would have seen it was when it was released on the old big box warner's vhs and they were big and boxes was, uh, weren't they they were huge boxes. You could use them as coffee tables. They and they, when they opened big. up the tray inside, you had a tray each side, didn't you, as well? Yes, you know? yeah. Yeah, it was like a vac form um, sort of internal tray, which perishes now. So if you ever collect VHS, they're a terrible thing to collect because they perish. And every time you open them, they bits flake all over the place. Yeah, right. um, but yeah, so we, we went and rented it because my uh, brother Dave... Um, was very big. He'd, he'd seen sort of Alien, and uh, he he went in to see Blade Runner, and he said it was amazing. It's a great film. And so when it first came out, uh, he went and rented it. And I have to admit, the first time I watched it, I was bored stupid. Okay. I didn't appreciate it to start with, much like all the film critics at the time. Mm. Um, didn't didn't it went down like a, a bucket of warm vomit, didn't it, with most of the critics? It certainly did. Um, yeah. And I I never really. I, I, we we must have immediately pirated the VHS because I remember I watched it quite regularly because there was a very limited amount of, of uh, films that were available and it was that, The Thing, 
mm-hmm. which I instantly fell in love with. Um, and Blade Runner must have worked itself into my sort of psyche because I don't, I can't consciously say when I went from thinking, oh, this is a bit dull to, oh, this is so interesting. But it definitely happened. Mm. And, and it rapidly became a, a mesmerizing film for me. Mm. It was, um, uh, especially on old VHS, you would watch it and you would try and imagine how my, I, I, I used to think they must have traveled forward in time and actually filmed this. Mm. It was it was so so sort of well done and compelling, and I loved. I always wanted to be Roy Batty, which is strange to the point where I think when when we first met, when I had bleach blonde blonde hair, you did didn't you? That was yes, that was a, that was a, a Batty influence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I'm 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 the opposite to you. I I yeah. did see in the cinema. Um, I had the privilege, you know, of of seeing it as a projectionist. I, it came out in my first year as a, as a projectionist. And I, I just fell in love with it immediately. And I just watched it every show, you know, it, it was at that time, you know, I, yeah. I, I was very fortunate when I started in, in cinema in that you had all these films, you just mentioned the thing there, you know, you had escape from yeah. New York, you had the thing, you had blade runner, you know, you had the star Wars films all coming out, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm being paid to watch these films. Yeah. Um, the early eighties was a definite, um, golden age. Mm. Yeah, Road Warrior came out uh, yeah. in, 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 my, in my first Russ year. Of Khan. Well. Yeah, it's... And, and and as well as all that, you had all the re-releases as well. So you had yeah. all these double bills as well, and then you had the strange, quirky films. You know, the the low-budget British horror or, or science fiction films. You know, you had like the extras and Life yes. Force and yeah. stuff like this. You know, it was a fantastic oh, time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got to do that sometime. Yeah, um, I, it was just me a fantastic for that one. I love, time. Love that film. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so no, I, I I fell in love with it, um, and I have ever since. It is actually my 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 favourite film of all time. Really, this is which, the number one. Um, which cut do you like the best? Well, that was going to be my question for you. In yeah. that, when we're going to go into this sequence, is uh, narration or not for you? Do you prefer it with the narration or not? I I used to because that was the version I knew. I used to prefer the narration. I I, I must have been a bit bit of a a hipster before their time because I, I remember when the newer versions started coming out of the multitude that there's been and I used to go no no the original the original narration that's the best way. but I, I I have to say that um I, I like the final cut I think it it works the best for me and it's very hard to go back once you've once you've got it fixed in your mind that Deckard is a replicant it's very hard to go back and watch that studio mm. cut it really is mm. it is a different film it, mm. um but and also i i can watch it now the original cut and enjoy harrison ford's totally pissed off <laughs> narration <laughs> he didn't want to do it did he no, he did not want to do it it, it begs belief that they didn't just go up to him and say harrison harrison we're going to re-record that now cheer up yeah yeah See, I, I mentioned this on the Empire Strikes Back a- a- asteroid scene episode in yeah. that at this time I'd cottoned on to the fact that uh, the tape deck that we used for playing non-sync, the non-sync music, you know, between shows, if I hooked that up to the monitor speaker in the projection box, I could record the audio of every film onto C90 ah. cassettes, 
which then I used to play endlessly. I used to play them um, at home while I was you know, making my models and stuff. I would play them in my car. And I became word perfect on all these films, you know, uh, The Road Warrior, Escape from New York, all the Star Wars films, and Blade Runner as well. So because of that, I, I, I've got a, a, a much more of a fondness for the narration, even though he does sound mm. hacked off. Yeah. Um, I actually still do prefer that. And in fact, I, I, I was watching this scene for, uh, you know, discussion today. It just seems you've just got many, many scenes of Vangelis's music mm. and just looking at the scenery, which is fine. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It, it, it's beautiful scenery. But I miss the narration. Yeah, I. I'm not sure how much probably a, a good proportion of that is is your uh your your emotional attachment mm. to that do you think dispassionately that it makes a better film with the narration no i be, can't no no, no because it, it's i can see i can see that that this reason for people the test screenings they didn't understand what was going on therefore we've yeah. got to put in a narration that explains everything you know and it is you're treating the audience like they're idiots and the film works perfectly well without the narration but i think it's more a nostalgia thing yeah that i like the narration it takes me back to the 80s you know when i was listening to this on my crappy little cassette player <laughs> in my car you know because it's not i i i could see i can see what they were sort of obviously they were thinking it's it's the closest thing they could associate it with was film noir, hardball detective. What do hardball detectives have? They have narration. Let's do I could see the thought process, but I, I, it just, I don't know. It just doesn't work for me, the narration. It's the fact that he, he's constantly narrating things you're seeing or you've just been yeah. told in a scene. Yeah. And it's like, really? did I, I can understand that it, it's a, a complex story and it's not, it's a very rewarding story when you go into it and start thinking about it. And, but it's not your average crowd pleaser summer blockbuster story, but did, did people really not understand these? These are sort of probably the same sort of people that would have gone to see 2001. Hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm not I sure whether they... You don't yeah. know what the test audience was, do you? Cause no. I, I, I remember reading in Starburst, um, that when the reviews came out in Starburst, uh, that they they were appalled at the press screening that they went to to see it because yeah. they had seen the first work print, which obviously was what yeah. the test audience had seen, that didn't have the narration and there were extra scenes and it had been trimmed right down and they were kind of appalled at what they were having to then review for the yeah. proper theatrical release, you know? Because I, I can remember... Um barry norman hating the film i can remember watching the program where he absolutely slags it off and then obviously in later years he very much became one of the no no i i recognized it as the work mm. of genius it was and no you didn't barry mm. no you did um and it was de definitely it was i mean i, I can remember him being on all the like the, the starlog magazines and i bought these i still actually still got it somewhere the souvenir magazine that came out and the marvel comics which i i loved um but then when when i finally saw the film um it, it didn't gel with me it really didn't gel with me like so it's only much 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 later mm. after repeated viewings that I, I started to appreciate it and now i i it's not a perfect film by a long shot but it's such an interesting film um 
it's a bit like John Carpenter's thing in that you can still be discussing aspects of it and have a lovely heated argument with someone even all these years later that that it's nothing it's not set down in stone Mm. you can you can take from the film whatever you want to bring into it when you're watching it um i i think that you know that that, that's the mark of a good film would we be discussing it all this many years later if it was just a Mm. you know uh an action film with no ambiguity to it yeah i don't know yeah also a good uh, a mark for me of a good film is you can put it on at any point in the film and immediately start watching it yeah and and same with the thing there and you can just yeah. or, or you're flicking through the channels one night and you come across it and that's it you're, like, you're watch yeah, a bit you're of that and yeah. an hour even, later even though you've got it, it on you've got it on hd yeah 4k transfer yeah you'll watch a crappy yeah. and you'll watch version. it backwards yeah. and forwards yeah yeah yeah, yeah. My, yeah my, my only regret in the in with this film i mean you were saying about buying the you know the the souvenir magazine and everything there were two books that came out which i i snapped up everything to do with it when it came out there was uh the the blade runner sketchbook and then there was the blade runner illustrated screenplay and back in the very very early days of ebay i sold mine i don't know why but i did and they go for big bucks now they really do (laughs) You know, I think I've got the illustrated screenplay somewhere. That hang on and to I've it def- because it, yeah, it, it's def- worth a fortune. I've definitely got the souvenir magazine, and I used to have the quad poster as well, but I did sell the quad so poster. That's worth a fortune now yeah. as well. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I was funny enough because I've, I've rec- recently, in the last year, moved house, and only in the last sort of couple of months have I been getting the model room mm. up and going. And I, I found all my quads because I. Uh, I used to work in a cinema like Eric used to as a projectionist um, much later. And I, I was put in charge of um, clearing out the poster and photo store. Uh, so uh, I had a great many very nice quads. And the only ones I've really kept, I've got uh, an original uh, pre-logo Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. which is quite nice. Uh, I've got uh, Star Trek Rothican and Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. But I, I used to have... Uh, the thing, Blade Runner, um, uh, and gradually sort of either sold them off or gave them away as gifts or Christmas presents. That and it's, I regret it a bit. Yeah, I, I, I ditto again. I mean, yeah. I, when I first started uh, the quad room, as it was called, uh, where all the posters were kept, um, I went in there and I said to the manageress, I said, "Can I have a few posters?" And she's like, "Well, why would you want them?" And it's like, "Well, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I like film." And yeah, I, I was taking home all these things, yeah. you know, two thousand and one, and you know, Close Encounters and and everything like that. Um, and uh, a friend of mine, he did the same, and I can't believe what he did because. I've lost contact with him now, but if I ever see him, I'll have to say, don't you regret that? But he, he took a lot of them and he cut them all up. Okay. <laughs> yeah. To make like a collage. He, he had in his living room, he had a one long featureless wall and he cut out all these, you know, uh, Indiana Jones from Raiders of the Lost yeah. Ark. He cu- wow. cut out. Yeah. That, that classic star, the, 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 uh, Colin Cantwell star Wars poster. He cut all the characters out, got some wallpaper paste and he just made a collage <laughs> of all these, so, these characters on his living room wall. Wow. Idiot. That's, yeah. <laughs> Although I suppose at the time it was just ephemeral things, wasn't it? It yeah. was. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? I tell you that what. These things were worth anything. You say ephemeral things. The things that I overlooked and they were chucked out, but are worth an awful lot, is all the porn posters. 
Oh, right. okay? Because they really were ephemeral. You know, they were produced yeah. very, very cheaply. They weren't shown very much. And now they're in great demand, you know. And it's like, oh, why didn't I keep them? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a very specific regret in life, isn't it? That I didn't keep all my porn posters. All my porn posters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, they're, uh, oh, boy, they were cheap films. Yeah. I, 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 oh, I guess I when you became that. a projectionist, you, that was after the video age. Yes. You didn't, you didn't yeah. show them. No. Oh, God. No, we <laughs> although the, the cinema I worked at was definitely as a flea pit mm. um it yeah it 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 sort of shied away from the the likely to get it closed down start side of things but they it did mean that they did because it was in oxford in a student town um they did show a lot of retrospectives mm. and um i i got to watch a great many classics mm. and um edit <laughs> edit little film clips off of them which is a terrible thing to do I'd Terrible t- thing, but we used to do it. I used we're, to do it. We're going off on tangent here, but I've got, are, one, yes. more, I've got one more little associated one to that in that uh, we're back to the the, uh, the porn films again. Yeah. Sorry about this, listeners. We will get a Blade Runner in a minute. But whenever we used to show them, um, you always knew when a, a na- naughty scene was coming up because of the amount of – right, for, for – I'm just assuming everybody knows what I'm talking about. When you make a film, you know this, Ian. When you make a yep. film up and you're at the at the workbench, you've got you've got a spooler, a reel of film to your left on a bobbin on a plate, and you're winding it by hand onto a spool, aren't you? And you're holding the film between your fingers as you're winding it through, giving it a bit of tension. Yeah. Yeah. You always knew when a naughty scene was coming up because in the middle of a, of a reel, you would start getting joins. Okay, (laughs) and so you slow down, and what it was is projectionists were cutting frames out of the naughty bits, and they were taking them home and putting them in their slide projectors, (laughs) because this is way before video, and sometimes the the, the amount of time, and you had to show the films and and run them through, because they were in really dodgy condition, you know, it, it, it almost became a joke that the, the, the cuts that were coming out, you know, it was ridiculous where most of it was like butchered because all these yeah. uh, grubby projectionists had taken home these little frames. <laughs> it was a more innocent time, wasn't it? Yes. Yes. Anyway, we, we, let's get back yes, to Blade, Blade Runner. Blade Runner. So yeah. uh, let's go ahead and uh, have that clip. Brian, huh? Charmer's name was Gaff. I'd seen him around. Brian must have upped him to the Blade Runner unit. That gibberish he talked was city-speak, gutter talk, a mishmash of Japanese, Spanish, German, what have you. I didn't really need a translator. I knew the lingo every good cop did. But I wasn't going to make it easier for him.
threshold. I actually listened, uh, listened. I watched uh, the Blu-ray yesterday of this scene. So I thought, I, I think it's the same scene. So I watched it. And do you know um, how naive I am? I, uh, uh, watching it, it's the first time it's twigged why a spinner's called a spinner. I mean, that's the, how naive am I? Why? I, don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. Why is a spinner called a spinner? Because it spins when it takes off and it spins when it lands. I never noticed. Well, I, I've like noticed crazy. that, but I never thought that that's why it was called that. Yeah. Well, I, I can only say, I can't think why else it would be called a spinner. And I was sat there watching it. I thought, well, that's really spinning. Spin, what? And then when it lands, it does the same thing. Spin, 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 spin. And it's like, oh. Okay. Well, that's a new one on me. All, All right. right. I, oh, well, perhaps I, I won't feel so naive then. I thought that, like, everyone probably knew that. And I, I, I've just twigged. No. I'll have, to, I'll have oh. to look that up and see. Why, yeah. why is a spinner called a spinner? Okay. All right, well, let's go into the sequence then. Um, um, Gaff has just um, uh, tapped uh, Deckard on the shoulder. Yep. We get the whole Hey Bidiwa um, bit. Um, and uh, and he has to go off and see Bryant. And the first time we see the spinner, it's always raining in Blade Runner, which is fantastic. It's usually at night and it's always raining. Um, I've, I've seen on some of the documentaries, Ridley, this was Ridley Scott, uh, to disguise the fact he didn't want it evident that they are actually on a, you know, on, yeah. on a studio back lot. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and it helps if you film at night in rain. It helps to, even though they yeah. put all these greeblies on the buildings and they've done some fantastic, you know, design work there. Um, layer upon layer upon layer of detail. It does help sell it more, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it's the Godzilla effects isn't it the, mm. the the horrible roland emmerich godzilla um that all the special effects sequences are in the rain but it does i think it does rain also adds a, um a bit of atmosphere to a film mm. um there was a very famous uh 1940s director that that put rain in all his films he directed son of frankenstein um and he did a film uh, that involved the battle of bosworth field and he put in a rain put the hoses on to give it rain because all his films had rain uh, and all the armor was cardboard <laughs> so it all just <laughs> fell apart um but it does it does the rain does give a lovely atmosphere it does mean that you get some really really weird um neon umbrellas yeah which is is quite off-putting and and watching the extras with them where they're they're carefully cradling these neon tubes <laughs> in the hopes that they don't shatter and and, and get toxic and dust all yes. over them yeah you can see yeah. why that never caught on can't you yeah it, it, definitely <laughs> and uh but yeah it's a lovely it's a lovely little sequence that where um where deckard's waiting to be to get his meal and he, he has a little argument with the uh, the proprietor of the noodle bar. Yeah. He wants four bits, four bits of whatever it is. I think it's dumplings sure because yeah, it's he dumplings. wants, he wants noodles yeah. with it as well. I think it's yeah. dumplings. <laughs> and and the, the guy's giving him two. And then of course the, um, the, the wonderful, uh, gaff. Yeah. Appears, uh, who he, even as, even when I watched it, when right back in the Mersey early days, I thought, I want to know this guy's story. Mm. Um, and then, then obviously, some of the theories that are, are about now, and there's the particularly lovely gaff theory that that now when I watch it, I can't help but feel this this is this is this has got to be accurate, and it adds so much to the film. Mm. I, I don't know if you're aware of the yeah the, yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and every time every time I, I I see one of those theories and I watch the film again, it makes so much sense. Mm. <laughs> 
every, all these different theories. So I'm, yeah. I'm probably quite gullible in that respect. But yeah, it's it's a it's a lovely sequence, and it really it sort of it, I mean Ridley Scott, whether you like his films or not, he's a world builder. Mm. He the, he builds a, a very believable world in a few shots. He did it in Alien, mm-hmm. Blade Runner. You know, even whether you like Prometheus or not, it's you buy into that world. Um, mm. And I think that's a big strength of Blade Runner because we've all seen like copies afterwards, like trances and things like that, mm. where they just don't get it, mm. where everything's described and everything is is explained. But he, he, he's got a great eye as well, you know, yes. a design eye and uh, the cinematography is fantastic. It is a very believable yes. uh, city, of, city of the future, even though it's only set two years from now. I really wish <laughs> I didn't do this on films. Don't put dates on films. Yeah. You know, Escape from New York, of course, is, is just yes, one of the worst. You know? Although, um, I, I mean, I've not been to New York, but I understand it's very similar now. So. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I um, have you ever read uh, uh, Do Androids Dream of Electric? Yes sheep yes um weird 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 book that was a disappointment as a child after seeing blade runner oh you Um, read it you read it after blade runner uh i read i read it uh after blade runner i got into a period where i I was uh collecting novelizations and i bought this one it had the blade runner cover in smith's and uh i started reading i thought what the hell is this (laughs) it's a it's it's a good book but it's 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 not blade it's very weird and that's that's set in 94 95 yeah after the nuclear war. Oh, oh. But yeah, so yeah, Gaff comes along. Um, he's told he's got to go and see Brian. They go out to the car. Uh, the, you've got the gold wing doors there. Very UFO, the yes. gold wing doors opening up like that. Uh, they get in and you see the display screens, the infamous yes. display screens. Yes. Um, all obviously, you know, no flat screen technology at the time, although the blimp said that. So I'm not sure. Yep. Why, uh, why the cast in? But yeah, um, cathode ray tube displays mm. showing the old clips of Alien. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, completely so pinched from watching, Alien. Yeah. yeah, I remember Martin Bauer saying the first time he went to see Blade Runner, he sat there and he said almost spat McCola out, you know, <laughs> because there's all the Alien purge and everything. Yeah, and it's... and also the docking arm. You see the docking arm, uh, a computer graphic of that, taken from when the Nostromo undocks from the refinery. That's in there as well. Yeah. Uh, but now they're, now they're officially a shared universe, so you can understand it. This is very it's, true. He, yeah, he, was, there you he go. was ahead of the game, wasn't he? Oh, Maybe that was in his mind all along. That's true, yeah. The other thing, of course, you say about Goldwing Doors, um, as someone whose brother owned a Goldwing Door car, um, they're, they're horrible. They're, I don't know why they keep putting them on futuristic vehicles. Mm. They're, they're terrible things to have. Oh, are they? Especially in the rain. Right. The worst thing in the world in the rain, yeah. Just They <laughs> leak like a sieve. It's not good. Um, but yeah, um, glorious design, the spinner. Yeah. It's Mr. Sid Mead for you, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Again, everything he does is believable. Yeah. 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 You feel like you could get into that car and and spin it away. Yeah. It does spin away. It lifts off. Um, Unfortunately, you you can see some wires. I mean, this is obviously the full size one. I was going to say, it depends what version you're watching. Yeah, true. (laughs) Because they've been removed in the uh, the new Blu-ray that I watched yesterday. Oh, no, I've watched the Blu-ray, and and you can see there's two of them. I, I think the rest are hidden in, in, in yeah. rain, or or they've um, eliminated them somehow. But uh, I could still see two on the Blu-ray this so, morning. So remember the DVD was, when you first see that scene, it's, it's shocking for the, mm. the, the... A bit like when you watch um, uh, the old VHS of uh, 
of George Powell's War of the Worlds, and you go, mm-hmm. what's everyone moaning about the, the strings on the uh, Martian war machines? And you watch it on Blu-ray, you go, ah. <laughs> yeah, ah. And the, thing, the thing about that, I mean, yeah, um, it they must have been just as apparent on the cinema screen oh, yeah, back in 1953, so, you know. Yeah. Um, but there you go. Um, it takes off. We cut to the miniature. Beautiful shot of the, the miniature coming up towards the camera. You've got all the beautiful buildings all, yeah. all around it. Uh, beautiful yeah. music as well. Yeah. It's yeah. sells that scene. It is incredible. I mean, yeah. all, all of this, you know, again, you know, Ridley Scott's visual style. Um, he was a big fan of Mobius and Heavy Metal magazine, and that's coming really coming across here. Um, and it's just beautiful. The city blocks, the buildings, the blimps with their adverts. Yeah. Um, some of them are a bit dated now because, you know, some of the products aren't yes. around. <laughs> the products aren't around anymore. Yeah. But what we were saying about having the narration not there, um, the one place where I really think it, 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 it looks odd is you've got a, a, a shot looking in through the canopy of Deckard and Gaff, yeah. and Gaff is talking to Deckard, and Deckard kind of like gives him a, a, a look. Um, and now when you've just got the Vangelis music playing, you're thinking, what are they talking about? You know, And I think at that point you did have, have a bit of narration there. Yeah, he doesn't he say something explains Gaff was mm. explaining what I said. It's a long time since I've seen the narrated version, but right. uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I can sort of buy that that perhaps Gaff isn't talking to him. He's talking to uh, you know the police station for coming into land or something like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, I think it 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 works very well as a sequence with or without the narration i think it's it's just beautiful it just it looks amazing it's definitely one to watch on the biggest tv you can get oh absolutely yeah 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 um in this bit just before you get to police headquarters i have never ever been able to spot it but have you ever seen the millennium falcon um yes funny enough i i noticed it again last night i've not i've not really i i bought the blu-ray a while ago and last night was sort of uh, because you, you mentioned about uh, do it, doing this podcast, and I thought, I, bet, I better watch the film. I watched five minutes, and you end up watching like 90% of it. There you and, go. and I spotted so many things. But yes, I did, I did spot the, 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 what I thought was the Millennium Falcon um, right. on the building, and certainly it looked like the Millennium Falcon's um, radar dish. No, you um, haven't seen it. Ah, no, we've not that's seen it, not no. the Millennium Falcon. No. The Millennium Falcon, we'll, we'll come across this uh, in behind the scenes, but uh, no, the Millennium Falcon is minus its radar dish. Ah. And it's not on a building, it is a building. Ah, right. Oh, in that case, I probably haven't. There's a sequence where um, the, the spinner is, is going around the building, mm. and there's a round radar dish, almost right. like a, a, a pre-runner to a satellite dish on a, you know, on a house now. And I looked at it, and I thought, oh, that's, the, that's been taken off the Millennium Falcon model. I might oh, it, be, might, it yeah. might have done. I'll, I'll have to go back yeah. and have a look at that. But, yeah, you're right. He's starting to spin. The spinner is spinning as it's coming yes. in to land at police headquarters. Now, on Blu-ray, I, I noticed something that I've never saw. Every time I watched it, and I watched it a lot on the cinema screen and over the years, um, is as it's going down to police headquarters, you can see these teeny tiny spinners yeah, ne- already parked. parked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've not noticed that before, and I noticed it last night. Um, I'm presuming it's on the original and they haven't just added it in for the, the final cut. No, yeah, because I, I remember seeing in a Cinefix or something there that, that there was shots of these tiny, and they're about the size yeah. of your thumbnail, spinner cars. And I was thinking, where are they in the film? And th- this must be them. Yeah, because there's like, there's like um, three or four 
little parking bays mm. and there's a spinner in, in each section on each one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I know. So I thought it was a really nice little touch. Yeah. And that, that, they're not overly lit. You have to no. be looking for them to actually see them, you know. And I think, that's, again, there's there's no look at these models type mm. shots where yeah. it's, you know, stuff's overly highlighted or they're, they're taking great pride in the fact that they've got these nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Look at this. Yeah, um, it's just it's it's in there. And if you spot it, you're getting, a, again, another layer yeah. out of this film. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a very short sequence. That's the end. I mean, we get a, a, a wipe and a dissolve to them uh, walking through police headquarters. So that's that's their uh, sequence over. So we'll go into behind the scenes. Okay. Right. Um, now, the, the spinner car, right? I always used to look at that and think, oh, this is a cool car. And now, looking at it now, I think it, it, it was way ahead of its time because, you know, back, back back in 1980 when they were making the film, you know, most cars, they were like real boxy affairs. I, yeah. mean, you, I know you've had a like a Hillman Avenger or something, yes. and, you know, and I've had my Cortina. Um, and, you know, eight, 70s and 80s car were these horrible box affairs. But now you, you you drive down the road, all cars now are just curvy shapes where the, the lights at the back and the lights at the front are incorporated into the curve of the of the vehicle now, aren't they? Very much like the spinners. Yeah, I mean, the average car now would fit very well into that world. Now, obviously, it's is it that, that the designers were ahead of their time or did they influence the curve there? Hmm. Um, it's a bit like when people go, ah, oh, Star Trek was ahead of its time. It, it predicted the cell phone. No, no, it directly influenced the design of the cell phone. Yeah. The, the people that designed first cell phones said they based it on what they saw on Star Trek. So I wonder if this is the same thing. Because I can remember going back a, f- a few years, um, uh, the Ford Sierra, which was the, the first mm. of the, the UK jelly mold cars, uh, the curved Designed. And even now it looks horribly boxy, but then it was like that was a futuristic looking car. And um, I, I, I think you're, I, I, I think you're right in that cars. We've sort of, we've almost entered the world of of Blade Runner and other films like that, mm. where your average car on the on the road now just looks futuristic. Yeah. You know, it's it's not a postman pat wagon like it. the eighties were just the postman pat wagon, wasn't it? The, uh, you know, the uh, yeah, um, and, and and now of course you in the interiors you've got your sat navs yeah, and your yeah. uh, and your DVD things. They're all like head up displays like you see in the spinner. Yeah, here, you know, <laughs> and you, yeah, you would you would have laughed at a, like, a, a television display in a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. Now we all rely on them. We all, you know, we've all got sat navs. We've all got reversing cameras. Um, uh, a friend of mine's just brought an electric car and it's got a uh, an a downwards uh, reverse in an all-round camera. And I'm, I'm yet to work out how this thing works because you can, as you're reversing, or if you get out, you can see yourself on the camera from really? above. Yeah, it's it's the weirdest thing. It's it's so clever. But that's that's pure sci-fi. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it is amazing. And I, I say, I think, I think a lot of it is that the designers of today are the sci-fi fans of yesterday, aren't they? I think so. It's yeah. definitely an influence, isn't it? Yeah, you know? it's got to be. Because, What's you know, it, yeah. after this, you know, there was so, not, not just films, but adverts and everything, all nicked the Blade Runner oh, look, yes. you know, it, music it, it, videos as well, usually featuring Duran Duran, yeah. you know, all, all, all had this uh, design aesthetic after this, didn't they? I, th- I think it was a, a, a very influential film design-wise, um every again it's one of those films where you can you can sort of show anyone a, a still from blade runner and they'll go oh it's blade runner 
but they've probably never seen it or don't mm. know the story or you know don't know anything about it mm. but they they know those designs mm. you know the 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 big buildings the you know the uh i mean also as as the 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 floating targeted advertising mm. which is we sort of got that now isn't it you know you wander past a bus stop and it it'll talk to you about something yes. you've just yeah. bought in the shopping mall because it's all linked to your phone it's yeah we've, we've entered the world and i've met people <laughs> that I'm, i swear are replicants so i think we're there as well <laughs> Okay, right. Uh, moving on. Ridley Scott, apparently, he got together a, a, a group of designers and a guy by the name of Jim Burns was hired to produce concepts for the spinner. But it turns out these designs, that, that, that obviously, they didn't use them, but it, it was a good starting point to move on from. And that was when Sid Mead came in and he designed the spinner and he did a lot of the other vehicles and props and sets. And I, that's why I really wish I still had that sketchbook. Yeah. Was it was there... Um... Was the the spinner an actual working car? Could it drive along, or was it just a fiberglass? Yes, it could. We're, it we're, could. we're, we're, we're coming to that yeah. soon. Yes, um, Sid Mead's thoughts was uh, to approach it as a uh, a, a VTOL, you know, yeah. uh, such as a Harrier jump jet. And his first designs, they were quite different. Um, originally, it had a, a full front end with a big bumper, um, and then he went sort of like in a helicopter design. Um, he also designed the head-up display inside the car, and yeah. he also did all the instruments. And that twist wrist steering thing that Gaff uses to, to do, yeah. uh, that was put in to signify that it was a flying vehicle as well as a car. Okay. Um, the, the miniature effects were by a company called Entertainment Effects Group. Um, they had to make the miniature spinners, and that was headed by a guy called Mark Stetson, who went on to win an Academy Award uh, as visual effects supervisor on Lord of the Rings. Oh. And uh, they made four size spinners, uh, a one-inch version, a four-inch version, a 15-inch version, and a whopping great 44-inch uh, version. Okay. I me- yeah, I remember seeing a photo somewhere of one about sort of Action Man-ish size. Yeah. Presumably that yeah. must have been the 44-inch. Yeah. Um, the job of building the full-size spinners was given to a, a guy called Gene Whit, uh, Winfield, who, who was a hot rod customizer. And he wasn't a stranger at all to working on uh, futuristic uh, vehicles. Um, he did a lot of the AMT cars. Do you remember AMT back in the 60s? They made science fiction style hot rod type car kits. Yes, where they had these yeah. big bubble uh you know, like hot rods, rods or dragsters with a big science fiction like yeah. bubble cockpit and 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 like that. That was him. Um, he also made uh, the bubble cars for Sleeper that you see in Sleeper, <laughs> and he went on to build the uh, flying police car in Back to the Future Two. So there's another uh, futuristic police car he did. Yeah, I think uh, doesn't the spinner appear in Back to the Future Two? I think there's an in joke on it. Yeah, isn't there? I think it's sat. I don't think it's moving or anything. But I'm sure there's there's a shot of it in there. Mm, right. Um, the 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 full size one. It was based on a Volkswagen chassis. <laughs> Aren't they okay. all? Yeah. And the shape was built up uh, out of particle board uh, and a r- acrylic. Okay. Uh, fiberglass molds were taken from it, and uh, he made four of them, right. which used up nearly the entire six hundred thousand dollar budget. Okay. Now, the, out of the four cars, car one is the one uh, used in the scene um, 
when you know Gaff meets. Yeah. Uh, no, sorry, Gaff and Bryant arrive to question Deckard. Uh, that's the one you know that Bryant sat in. Yeah. Um, and when it was delivered to the studio, a, a guy by the name of Tom Southwell well, um, applied all the graphics to the car. Okay, all those fantastic futuristic graphics. Um, he went on to work on Star Trek and Buckaroo Banzai and Short Circuit. Okay. Uh, originally, the car had a number 41 on it, um, but they changed it to 44 as they thought that was more of a visually pleasing look. <laughs> I don't know why. I quite like the look of a 41. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Tom decided on 995 as the future's version of 911. Strange choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then you've got the three uh, spinner logo badges, you know, yeah. The, yes. the the metal yeah. badges on the side. Um, they should have been vinyl decals like everything else, but there was uh, um, a, a, a bit of a misunderstanding. Ridley Scott, who was a fan of Heavy Metal magazine, asked Tom Southwell well, to give the heavy metal treatment to the design. <laughs> so he produced them in thick cast metal. Brilliant. Well, great that, isn't it? <laughs> That's why you should always be specific. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, car number two was a background vehicle and was labelled as Car 54, uh, possibly as a Hollywood <laughs> in joke that, yeah. for Car 54, where are you? And it was basically a backup car in case Car 1 went wrong. It did everything Car uh, 1 could do, but it was more of an emergency backup. Yeah. Okay. Uh, car 3 was a lightweight aluminium version for the flying scenes. Okay. Uh, it was a suspended by crane by four cables attached directly to the frame in the front and the back. Okay. And then car four was built for interior filming. Right. And it, and it was also used. I didn't know this. It was also used as the interior of Deckard's car. Yeah. Yeah. They took the seats out and changed a few bits, but that, that was actually car four. Okay. Are you there? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Yes. So you went very quiet. Right. So Douglas Trumbull, and his team, they did all the cityscapes. Yeah. And most of them were shot in a smoke environment, both to suggest the polluted atmosphere, but also to impart a sense of great mass. Yeah. Now, that's something Ridley Scott did in Alien, didn't he? Yes, definitely. It's, um, again, it's, it's very atmospheric. Hmm. Yeah. It works. Uh, yeah. Uh, the buildings were mainly built by Mike McKillen and Bill George and were made in such a way that they could be redressed and rearranged where needed. Uh, so you could use them more than once. Yep. Um, at Greg Jine's suggestion, they used dollhouse scale for the buildings. Oh, right. Because he knew that, you know, you could go out and get shop bought, you know, furniture and lighting yeah. and, and windows and stuff like that. You know, because I've, I've seen sort of obviously the classic photos of, of the guys working on the buildings and they're big, aren't they? They're, mm. they're big. It's almost it doesn't almost pay to call them miniatures, but they're big miniatures. Yeah, they were bigger than they were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they kind of like averaged eight to ten feet tall, these buildings. And I think it it sort of shows that yeah, we've all seen films where you've got miniatures, and you can tell they're miniatures because they lack detail. But mm. these are almost detailed to the point of madness, aren't they? They're, yeah. They say it to the point where we, we're both very familiar with the film and yet both watched it recently and noticed new things. Yeah. Well, apparently that's Mr. Ridley Scott yet again. Um, yep. Very similar to what he did in on, on Alien, where the effects bods, you know, they were working away on their models. And then he came in and he went, oh, I'm yep. not happy. Change this. Paint that yellow. Take those spirals off. He did the same thing. He, The crew were happy with how all the buildings looked, but 
Ridley Scott wasn't, and he he wanted he thought they weren't busy enough, and they needed yeah. more details. Okay, and they needed more buildings, but you know time was running out, so uh, that kind of like put the crew in a panic. Um, so they resorted to shortcuts. Yeah. Um, they went back. Apparently, they went back to the workshop. And any large interesting shape they could find was dressed as a building. This sounds very BBC special does, effects yes. now, you know. There's a packing case. Uh, yeah, that will do. do. Yeah, you know. Uh, they also used cardboard tubes, which they dressed up. Um, they had some light boxes, you know, light boxes going in the ceiling yeah. for your uh, thingamajigs that had a grid pattern. So they got them down. They taped over in places so, uh, so parts of the grid didn't show. And the ones that did show, they would become windows. You know, so <laughs> now I, I've seen this. Now, I don't know if they mean the actual one, but apparently a guy called Jean Renault uh, had a model of the Dark Star. And right. that was brought in from home and put in there. Oh, right. I've, yeah, I've not seen. Can't say I've ever seen that in there. No. Now, that I, I've only seen one mention yeah. of it. And now I'm, I'm not sure if it means the original, you know, Greg yeah. Jine original you know, Dark Star miniature. Or, from or whether he had a model of the Dark Star. Yeah, and he made one yeah. and brought it in. Because that, that, that brings me up to my last uh, little tidbit. Bill George had at home an MPC kit of uh, the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And as I say, they were getting kind of desperate for shapes that they could put in there. Um, he took most of the detail off, um, added a bit more, sprayed it black, and then stood it on it on its end. Okay, and apparently it is in there somewhere, but I I, I watch and watch and watch and I can't see it. I'll put it up on Facebook. It looks like the Millennium Falcon standing upright, um, but with an awful lot of detail taken off and just blobs and uh, domes put on. And he put some fiber optic lighting in as well. Actually, I've I've thought about doing this myself up in the attic. I've got the old my old MPC Millennium Falcon that. Um, I bought another one a few years back and I, and I accurized it, but I, I, I cannibalized some of the cockpit bits and things like that. So it's sort of like not in one piece. And it has occurred to me to actually copy what Bill George did. Cause it, all it is, is taking some stuff off, drilling some holes, putting some fiber optics in and spraying it black. So is, have you ever seen like a, a shot from the film of it as, as a still, no, is the still no, no, of no. it like, yeah, no, it's, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it, in uh, the studios. So know. I wonder, I wonder how visible it actually is in there. I, I, with films like this, I always, um, I always read beforehand about you look out for this, look out for that. But then I get drawn into it, and I immediately mm. forget to look for these things, mm. which I think is probably a good, you know, it says a lot about the film. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've, I've sort of, I, I, I'm, I've been aware that there's models like that, and, and it's like you know the. Um, the uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO in Raiders of the Lost Ark on the hieroglyph, mm. things like that. But I often wonder how, how visible these things are actually in the finished film, or is it a case of it, it becomes almost like Chinese whispers that the yeah. special effects guys tell this story, and then it becomes a, you know... Yeah. Oh, I have to look online. If if, if yeah. I can find a shot of it actually, you know, yeah, circled in red, um, I'll I'll put it up on the Facebook page. Find out it's the tiniest little thing in the background. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, that's that. That's all I've got yeah. behind the scenes. So we're going to the rating now, please, Ian. Yes, yeah, certainly. One one quick question about the behind the scenes uh, that you might know and you might not need to answer. Do any of the spinners still exist? I think there's one of the full size ones is at a car, you know, yeah. one of these cars of film and television 
uh, museums. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure about the actual miniatures, though. It's a shame that all these things were just transitory, weren't they? Or, or yeah. gutted for other things. But have you got shame. the kit of the spinner? I haven't, no. I, I, I used to have uh, a terrible, terrible resin kit that I bought from Comet Miniatures uh, many years back, and I got rid of that. And I've never actually tracked down the Japanese kit, which I understand is meant to be very good. Oh, it's it's yeah. beautiful. It's it's a, it's one twenty four, so it's nice and big, and it's a hundred percent accurate. Um, my only regret is I I bought it and built it straight away because yeah. you know I I don't stockpile kits. No, I don't. Um, yeah, and it, and if I'd waited a, a little bit longer, I would have realised that you can get after uh, sale accurizing, accurizing kits, stuff yeah. and 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 also uh, really nice uh, resin figures of Deckard and Gaff. Yeah. You know, and it's like, oh, bugger. <laughs> no, it's, it's one of those um, one of those iconic designs that I, I feel I should have somewhere in my collection. I used to have, uh, like, a little Corgi-style car, but I don't think it was very accurate. Mm. Um, there was, like, a brown That's right. Brown yeah, version. They, they yeah. go for big bucks now yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, especially if they're still boxed. I'll tell you what's very odd, and I'll put this up on Facebook as yeah. well, is I, I like uh, comparing... Uh, things from different universities that are the same scale so yeah. i i put my 124th spinner alongside max's interceptor from yeah. mad max 2 and the spinner is just enormous compared yeah. to a regular size car it's just so wide you know um I'll, again i'll put that up yeah, on facebook be interesting so, it doesn't it doesn't look huge in the film but you never really you don't get that many good shots of it do you it's no. you see bits of it corners I, t- I tell you what makes it look so much bigger it, it's the huge canopy yeah it's that huge panel of glass compared to quite a well a slot basically of what you get in a, a yeah. in a 70s car yeah. you know <laughs> that's it it's uh, yeah in, very interesting design now i must look yeah. one out but yeah, yeah score scores um difficult one this because it although it's a very it's a very short much shorter than the normal sequences we uh, we rate um uh, and it it works there's no other than the strings there's no there's no duff bits um i think i think i'd go with an eight on this mm-hmm. one um it's th- there's better sequences in the film but it is a classic mm-hmm. uh, a, a classic sequence and a classic vehicle so yeah i think an eight i think an eight on this one well, I was going to give it an eight as well. Yeah, oh, well, there we go. That's exactly what I've got written down here. So uh, <laughs> we have an eight for our very first uh, dip into Blade Runner. Yes. Uh, it's not going to be the last, and it'll be interesting to see how uh, other effects are going yeah. to uh, measure up. Certainly, yeah. It's um, Yeah, I think eight's fair. So eight overall. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, that's us done. Um, um, thanks for your time today, Ian. No problem. I hope you'll have me back and we can replicate the situation. Sorry, I'll get me coat. Desperately trying to think of something. <laughs> no, I can't be bothered. Uh, all right, cheers there, matey. No problem. Thanks for I'll having me. I'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Right. Bye. That's all, folks.